For our scripture reading, we turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand, thought there is that they had been hearing from some that the, the day of Christ was, was at hand. And now the apostle's going to go on and say there are some things that will happen first before Christ returns. And they're not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled as though that day is at hand and could happen at any moment. They are to look at the signs that are, and some of them are referred to now, starting at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel 
to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning. We just read in all the rest of Scripture the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 19. There we read, why is it added, and sitteth at the right hand of God? Because Christ is ascended into heaven for this end, that he might appear as head of his church, by whom the Father governs all things. What profit is this glory of Christ our head unto us? First, that by his Holy Spirit he pours out heavenly graces upon us as members. And then that by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to thee that Christ shall come again to judge the quick and the dead? That in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord's Day that we're considering now is a Lord's Day that speaks about the return of Christ and that he's returning as judge and that we find that comforting. There are many references in the scriptures to the fact that Christ is coming. And that doctrine is something that is constantly also to be preached that Christ is coming against, again as judge, that Christ will return bodily as he ascended, and that as when he comes back, there will be the judgment. 
Now, we also acknowledge that there is a judgment right now. It's not the case that there's no judgment that takes place in this life. It is the case that there's a judgment now. But then this will be the, the final judgment that will take place. And God's people and, and those that have walked in wickedness will be separated from one another everlastingly. Some will be punished everlastingly. Everlasting condemnation, as the Lord's Day says. Others will be translated to God, to Christ, into heavenly joys and glory. And we will dwell forever with our God. There are signs of Christ's coming. And this is one of the chapters that speaks to us about a number of the signs of the coming of Christ. As was mentioned, it speaks against the idea that the day of Christ is at hand and the idea that it could happen at any moment when in actuality there are certain signs that must take place first. Indeed, there are those that speak about the idea that at any moment there could be a secret rapture and many of God's and God's people, the members of the church, are all of a sudden missing from this earth and then, the, and then time will con, in this life will continue for some time with all of these people gone and it'll be a secret rapture. And at any moment it could happen, some say. Well, this specific chapter says we're not to be shaken in mind or troubled as though that day of Christ is at hand. There are things that will happen first. And then it refers to the apostasy and it refers to the coming of the man of sin or the Antichrist, the leader of an anti-Christian world kingdom. And that we have not yet seen. And knowing that, we can say that we, you know, we know that it's not going to be the case that Christ is going to come and return today. For there are things that the scriptures has told us about that have not yet happened. We don't know the day or the hour of his return, but we do know that there are signs that God has spoken to us, signs of his coming that have not yet taken place. There are those that would deceive us. And this chapter that speaks about the coming of Christ and the signs of his coming warn us that there will be false teachings and there will be strong delusion and that we must be on guard. And as we look at this chapter, we look at this Lord's Day, and as we look at this chapter that speaks about the signs of Christ coming, what's going to happen when he comes, and the signs that we look for, it's also good to see how that truth is applied in Scripture itself. When we read a chapter, there's number of doctrinal points in this chapter 
that are very important to understand. There are also practical applications here. And a practical application is, let no man deceive you. There's going to be a great falling away, a great departure from the truth. And then at the end of this section, it says, Therefore, brethren, having understood the things that I've mentioned in this chapter, therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which he have been taught. Don't depart from that truth. Do not listen to the thoughts of the world that would tell you things that are not true. The thoughts that are expressed by many in the media and in social media and many in churches that adopt the thinking of the world do not be fooled. The fact that there are many that adopt the thinking of the world and bring it into the churches is what God told us would happen. We're not to be fooled. We're not to be deceived. Don't let anyone deceive you. Stand fast. Hold the traditions. Understand what the traditions are. Now, the traditions do not refer to simply holding on to things that our ancestors some kind of some ideas that they have taught us that we just passed down that are just originated with men man's ideas that have been passed down this these traditions the term has the idea of being passed down from generation to generation but it here it's referring to the teachings of scripture that have been passed down from generation to generation we're to stand fast and to hold to them. And we're to be busy at work. The very last verse of the chapter says, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And we're be, to be busy in the work to which our Lord has called us. We consider this Lord's Day under the theme, The Coming of Our Lord. We consider first the preceding signs. Consider also there the whole idea of what it means that right now he's at the right hand of God and the signs of his coming. Secondly, we look at the last day and the final judgment. And thirdly, we look at the everlasting comfort, which is referred to in verse 16. The coming of our Lord the preceding signs, the last day, and the everlasting comfort. First, what is, what is meant by the fact that God, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God? We had this question in society just this past uh, Thursday in Christian Fellowship Society. What does that mean, that he sits at the right hand of God? And this Lord's Day explains that to mean that God has governed everything by him. The idea of him, the Christ being at the right hand of God, is, is what it's referring to is that God, the triune God, governs everything by Jesus Christ, the divine and human mediator who has ascended into heaven and God is governing everything that happens by him. So we often talk about how God is 
governing and directing all things, which he is, he is governing everything by Jesus Christ. And he holds, he's governing everything that takes place in the nations. That's amazing, but it's true. He rules the nations with a rod of iron. So God is governing everything that's happening on, uh, down here among the nations. And as far as the churches, he holds the, the keys. And he gives the keys of the kingdom to the church, but he is the one who is sovereignly governing and directing all things. Now, a second idea with regard to him being at the right hand of God is that that indicates our head is ruling now. Many get caught up in an earthly kind of a kingdom idea. They want their man in power. You know, it's very easy, it's very easy for us too to get all caught up in politics. And, I mean, we can, we vote. We tend, you know, at least many of us vote, you know, when it comes time to vote. But some can get very caught up in, in political things. And many are very much wanting to get their man in power. And there's a danger of having an earthly kind of a view of a kingdom and trying to get our man in power. And then whoever, when we get our man in power, he's going to give us what we want and he's going to defend us. The idea of Christ being at the right hand of God is that our head is in power. Our king is in power right now. He's in authority. He has all authority in heaven and earth. So the one who is governing all things is our, our head. And he is giving us all that we need. And he's defending us against all our enemies. We have all we need. That's, that's the idea that you can see is taught here in this Lord's Day. When it says, why is it added and sitteth at the right hand of God? Because Christ is ascended into heaven for this end, that he might appear as head of his church by whom the Father governs all things. God has governed everything by him who is the head of the church. And then the next question, well, what profit is this glory of Christ our head unto us? Christ is our head. Well, what profit is his glory unto you and, and me? First, that by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly graces upon us or heavenly gifts. He's giving us what we need. Our head is, is ruling. He's giving us everything that we need. By his Spirit, he's pouring out <coughs> heavenly graces, heavenly gifts upon you and me. All that we need. And as far as our def defending us, and then 
that by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. Our mind can be on those that are opposing us and how we want to have our, uh, you know, one of one who has our ideas is of being the one that's in leading. You know, that many in politics are so much, they're concerned about all those that are against them and have different ideas and so on. Well, God has said Christ, Christ is at the right hand of God. He defends and preserves us against all enemies. He's the one that speaks the truth. He guides us by his spirit into all truth. And it's his word. What we need to hear is his word. And to not be persuaded into the thinking of those of, of this world. So our leader is in power. He's giving us all that we need. He's defending and preserving us. And he's coming. And there are signs of his coming. Now, the idea of a sign, a sign is something that you can see that directs your attention to something that you can't see. The sacraments are examples that we have signed. Those are signs that God has given, Christ has given to the church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs that are visible, and they direct our attention to the invisible grace of God. Christ is coming. We don't see that with the eye of the body. But it is a fact that Christ is coming. And he has told us about certain signs that we are to take note of. Now people often mention with regard to the signs, the signs that are seen in the creation. And today, people so often talk about, well, they used to talk about global warming, and now they call it climate change. And then whenever we have some kind of a, a disaster, such as a recent hurricane, then so often people will talk about climate change. Well, we see these things as signs of the coming of Christ. Now, there have been things like hurricanes and earthquakes and pestilences in the past, but we expect to see an increase of them as we get closer to the time that Christ, that Christ comes. But also the central sign, and it's very important, Important we keep in mind what the central sign is because it's related to other signs. The central sign, and sometimes the central sign is forgotten when you ask people about the signs of his coming. Sometimes the central one isn't is people forget to mention. The central sign is the the gospel being preached to all the nations. We call it central, in that Jesus said. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. So he says, this is going to happen, and then the end will come. What is this that's going to happen, and then the end comes? 
the gospel being preached, the gospel of the kingdom being preached to all the nations, which certainly brings out the great importance of us being busy in the work of bringing the gospel to the nations, as we are, and we keep looking for opportunities to do that. Because the true gospel of the kingdom is to go forth, and that is our calling, to bear witness to the truth, not only in the official work of missions, but also for us personally to be busy witnessing to others. So that when we hear that, you know, the gospels to go forth to the nations, we don't just think of the fact that we have right now a couple of missionaries that are, you know, in the Philippines, you know, the Kleins currently, you know, back here in the States, but we have two, you know, generally speaking, we have two, you know, in the, in the Philippines. Now, we're not only speaking of that, but that all of us are called to be faithful witnesses spreading the word. Well, that sign is related to other signs, specifically the sign that's mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the day our Lord returns, shall not come except there come a falling away first. That is the word apostasy. Falling away. That's what apostasy means. The word that's translated there is a word from which we would get our word apostasy. And here it's translated as falling away, a departure from the truth. And that there would be a falling away that would happen, a rejection of what Christ teaches. A rejection of what Christ teaches us concerning the will of God. We're familiar with the fact that many deny what Christ teaches, the doctrines that he teaches. Sometimes people present it and they say, you know, it's not that important that we have all our doctrine. Well, you know, we should have our doctrine straight, but that's not that important as much as it is that we live the Christian life. Well, both are important. It is important that we hold to the doctrines that Christ has taught us. And it's not a small matter to depart from them. There is a difference, and we bring that out, there certainly is a difference between somebody who's never had the truth explained to them correctly and somebody who has been raised being taught it and who now departs from it and opposes it. There's a difference between those two. But it is important that we hold to the truth. Jesus makes known to us the will of God concerning our salvation. He makes known to us what God has decreed And God has made that known in Scripture, and we're to hold to what he teaches. Well, many reject the idea that there are certain people that are unconditionally chosen. This is referred to in this Lord's Day. 
He shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself. Many reject the truth concerning unconditional election. They may say that God has chosen certain people because the Bible says so. But they'll make the choice be determined by something that was going, that those people were, an activity those people would perform is the reason why he chose them. But that's not true. Many reject what God makes known about his will from the viewpoint of what, of what he has decreed. Many reject what God makes known about his will from the viewpoint of the commandments. And as was mentioned uh, last, Lord's, uh, last Sunday, there are many that reject the teaching concerning the unbreakable marriage bond, the lifelong sometimes called unbreakable, meaning unbreakable in this life until there's death. It's, it's a lifelong, more specifically, the lifelong marriage bond. Many are blatantly violating the commandments with regard to sexual things. And then it's not surprising when you find people that are rejecting the will of God even in areas concerning what their gender is. They don't even want it to, they're going to even deny what God, God has made, you know, they have, they have a certain gender that's been determined by God. Well, they're, even with regard to that, they're going to say the opposite. I'm not a man, I'm a woman. I'm not a woman, I'm a man. Such are things that we're seeing in our own day and being tolerated in churches. A great apostasy. And that's related to the, the doctrine of the gospel going to the nations because many are going to reject that doctrine. They're going to reject the preaching of the gospel and they're going to instead teach the opposite. And then there's a relationship between that and the rise of Antichrist. And we see that right in verse 3, 2. Except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. The Antichrist there, the leader of the anti-Christian world kingdom, we expect the nations to be even more so working together as we get closer to the time that Christ is coming, and that there will be someone set in a position of leadership of that kingdom, the nations working together like there have been in the past, in the days of like Caesar, the Caesars, and so on. And he's referred to as the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, there's many. It is already the case now that you hear those speak and their ideas as if they're going to say what truth is. Or they're going, we can expect to see that there will be those that will tell the church what the church is to teach and what the church is not allowed to teach. 
So there's this relationship between the apostasy and the coming of the Antichrist. There's going to be, on, this, on the one hand, there's going to be the preaching of the gospel, and the gospel is going forth to all the nations, and then Christ is going to come. So you have the preaching of the truth and the coming of Christ, and then the opposite, you have the spreading of false teachings, and then the rise of Antichrist. And one of those false teachings is the idea that there's going to be this coming earthly kind of a kingdom. We often talk about the danger of getting caught up in looking for some kind of an earthly kind of a kingdom that is going to be coming before the final judgment which is not the case. God has warned us about the coming kingdom of Antichrist and we're not to be fooled. And then eventually, and then at the time appointed by the Father, it will be the case that the Messiah will return. And this time when he returns, he will return without sin. Before when he came, he was lying there in a manger. And he was bearing our guilt. When he comes back, he will come back without sin. He'll come back with power and great glory. He will come back as the coming judge. And every eye will see him. That he is coming as judge. And people will be, many will be terrified. The coming of Christ is referred to sometimes as the parousia. That's, you'll see that. That's a Greek word that is sometimes transliterated into English, and you'll read about the coming parousia, which is referring to the, it's translated as coming. It has, the term has its idea of the presence or arrival of someone that is coming. So that if you're expecting someone to come, and then that person arrives and is present, that's the parousia, the presence of one who has a, that has been coming and now has arrived. And he's arrived as judge. And there will be the bodily resurrection. And everybody will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Those are connected. He's going to come. The bodies are going to be raised. Souls reunited with their bodies in which they formerly lived. People are summoned to the judgment. And we will all stand. Not only the unbelievers, but believers. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This belongs to the exaltation of Christ. final coming 
and the final judgment. The Father has committed all judgment to the Son that we might honor the Son as we honor the Father. And the ones that will be judged will be all human beings that have ever lived and also the angels. The angels will also be judged. The purpose of that judgment, this is another term that you sometimes read, that the purpose of the judgment is the theodicy. Theo, we're referring to God, theodicy. That refers to the revelation, that term, theodicy, means the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That's the purpose of the final judgment, that all may see and be aware of the righteous judgment of God. God is always righteous, of course. And his judgments have always been righteous. Now that will be evident to all. We read that the secrets and hypocrisy of men will be laid open before all. And we will receive, it says, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Certainly one of the purposes of proclaiming that is the warning that this day is coming. There are many who they are, their mind is only on hiding what they're doing from the eyes of men. And they're all caught up in trying to get the approval of men and things that they ought not to be doing. They're trying to make sure that other human beings don't find out about it. And then they can, at times, they'll laugh when they get away, with, when it seems they got away with something. And the scripture says, there will be a final judgment. And the secrets and hypocrisy of men are going to be laid open before all. Everybody is told that they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there are many who in this life, they don't want to listen to Christ. They reject what he says. They don't want Christ ruling over them. Well, then when the day comes, they're going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's going to be terrifying. And they will be punished with everlasting destruction. As it says, 
They will be cast into everlasting condemnation. The scripture refers to the lake of fire. And that they will be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Then there are others who also will stand before the judgment seat. It's not that the believers will not be judged. We will. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's made known in that verse too, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. It'll be a judgment according to works. And we say repeatedly that the phrase that's used is according to. And you can see that in a number of passages, it is not on the basis of. We are not going to be judged on the basis of our works, but there will be a judgment that is according to work. When our Heidelberg Catechism refers to that judgment, same thing with our Belgic Confession, too. It specifically looks at it from the viewpoint of the comfort that the believers have. Because they know that every work that they've done is punishable. Every single work we've done is punishable. We know that the reward that we receive is not of merit. It's a reward of grace. We look at this passage, well, we look at this subject of the final judgment from the viewpoint of the comfort that we have of knowing that the same one the same one who died for us and removed all curse from us. He's the one that's going to be the judge. So that it will be the case that we'll be standing there and that we will be judged, but it's also the case that we will, God will tell us that, that what will be made known to all will be our innocence. Now, all of, it's the case, it'll be the case for us too. That all of our works were punishable, yes. And it was the case that we deserve punishment for everything that we did. But God will make known, God will declare that we are righteous in Christ. And that he hath suffered in our place and removed all curse from us, the curse that we deserve for the sin, Christ has removed all curse from us. And he's going to translate us and all his chosen ones into heavenly joys and glory. What a comfort that is. To know that that is the case, that we will be translated into heavenly joys 
in glory. Therefore, we look, we look forward to this day. Our creeds say that we, with ardent desire and uplifted heads, we look forward to this day, even though we know that it'll be the case that we will be judged and that we'll stand there and we'll be judged according to our works. Yet we also know that Christ has removed all curse from us. That we, will, we are sinners that are saved by the grace of God. Yet as we are conscious of the fact that in this life we have work to do. We're to be busy in doing that work with comfort and joy. The end of this epistle, or the end of this chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the end of this epistle says, or this chapter says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation, and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. On the one hand, this doctrine concerning the return of Christ, the signs of his coming, and the coming judgment when we hear that doctrine, that is a doctrine for God's people that is very comforting. And we have an everlasting consolation. And that consolation means comfort. We have an everlasting comfort. Unlike the temporary comforts that people of the world seek, that many are looking at many are simply seeking their own pleasure lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god and they're seeking what's going to bring me comfort and they look for a temporary comfort and yet they don't have real joy they don't have real abiding comfort they keep seeking for something that would give them an ongoing comfort and they don't find it. They pursue happiness, but they never really receive it. They live each day in the consciousness that Christ is coming as judge and that there will be punishment. To go through life like that, knowing that it's going to end, our life isn't that long, and Christ is going to come back as judge, and that really is the case, and people do know this. Word about this has traveled 
many people who know very little about the Bible have heard that the Christ who died and rose again is coming back and that he's the judge. God who governs and directs all things has spread that directed that news to the nations. Sir, sir, certainly there are some that you know are completely unfamiliar with the scriptures. But the word has spread. And many just continue on in their sin as if this judgment will never come. But it will. And they may seek things to comfort them. But there will be no comfort for those that don't turn from their sin to God. Those who turn from their sin to God and are sorry for their sin have an everlasting comfort. We look forward to the return of Christ. We know that then we will receive the fruits of our labors and of the trouble which we've borne. That's the way the Belgic Confession puts it. Right now we're persecuted. Right now we have sorrows. But then our Lord is going to come back. That's the way this Heidelberg Catechism puts it too. What comfort is it to thee to know that Christ is coming back? That in all my sorrows and persecutions, that in this life there will be sorrow, there will be persecutions, there will be people accusing us falsely. This is a valley of tears. We have comfort knowing that the one who's coming from heaven is our Lord. And we long for his coming. And what are we to be doing while we wait? Stand fast and hold the traditions and be busy at work. Grow in your understanding of what has been passed down from generation to generation. In fact, the creeds, the creeds is an, an example of something that's been passed down to us. That this term is not, is in addition to saying, hold to the truth, it's saying, hold to the truth that's been passed down from generation to generation. Don't depart from what our fathers confessed and go in the direction of the new ideas that are popular in the world. Which is something that we would often say to you young people and that are constantly being persuaded. You're a new generation that has new ideas things that are common and popular in our day, don't be persuaded to depart from what has been passed down to you. From each generation to the next, that truth is passed down. And we have an accurate summary of it in our confessions. 
don't depart from that. It also means we need to learn. Many in churches are unfamiliar with they're unfamiliar with this. And many get swept away. It's also the case that we're to love the truth. And this is certainly in our own history, this is so much so to be stressed too. It's not just that you study the doctrines and you can quote creeds. But that you love the you love that truth. And loving the truth shows it in how you live. And how you show love to people. Love for the truth is shown in loving people, not judging people rashly or unheard, showing respect to others, being humble, willingly serving others showing respect to those in positions of authority, that manifests love for the truth. The strong delusion that is referred to in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, the strong delusion comes upon those that received not the love of the truth. That's verse 10. The love of the truth. We are to love that truth, which is also shown in being humble and willing to learn. Learning from people, young and old, male and female, delighting to learn together and encouraging one another to stand fast. May we who have received comfort be busy at work. May we glorify our God. May we really live as those who have uplifted heads looking for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and our Father, we are thankful, O Lord, for the grace that thou dost give. And we are sorry, O Lord, for our many sins. We look forward to the coming of our Savior. May we not depart from the things that thou hast taught us. And may we honor thee in all the things that we do. Strengthen us, strengthen our children in these last days. And may thy name be praised in all nations. For Christ's sake, amen.